Coming up on this episode of Rediscovered. This is the man. This is the machine. This will be the year of the street hook. Beginning Friday, January 4th on ABC. Welcome to Rediscovered, a podcast dedicated to reviewing TV, movies, and animation from the 80s that we haven't seen since its initial run or missed us altogether. And now your hosts, Jason and Wyatt. Welcome back to the Rediscovered the 80s podcast and the fourth episode of Rediscovered, which is our journey to review obscure and overlooked TV shows, movies, and cartoons from the 80s. I'm one of your hosts, Jason. With me is my longtime friend and co-host, Wyatt. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be back in the uh, recording studio here and continuing our journey to reviewing some of the stuff back in the 80s that we remember and maybe not remember at all. Um, if you obviously looked at the title to this podcast, you know we are going to review Street Hawk. Oh man, I just, this is one of those shows that I just wish would have gone more than 13 episodes, Wyatt. <laughs> I agree. I actually was really excited about this series. I don't know what what really happened. I, I've watched the um, the after highlight, maybe it was the 10 year, 20 year anniversary, whatever they did, talking uh -huh. about it. But uh, I guess there just wasn't as much ratings for it to, to continue. Yeah, it's surprising. It's the same with you know we said the same thing about Highwayman. It was surprising there wasn't enough ratings for it to to continue. Right, and uh, we'll get into more of that tonight. We've got a lot of information to pass along. Uh, going through a lot of fact finding research uh, trips to the web to uh, to dive into Street Hawk and everything that uh, kind of came along with that. And uh, we're just glad to be back. To, uh, to keep reviewing these. We've done one complete cycle now. So we've gone through a TV show, a cartoon series, and a movie. Now we're back to another television show. And uh, Street Hawk, it was originally broadcast in 1985 on ABC. The tagline, of course, is the man, the machine, Street Hawk. It starred Rex Smith and Joe Rigobuto. But the real star, of course, which we would probably both say, Wyatt, was that $3 million, quote unquote, all-terrain attack motorcycle designed to fight urban crime. What is your, do you remember watching this at all in its original run? Maybe one episode. And I think it was uh, the, the, the second or third one where uh, George Clooney is co-starred. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the only thing I remember is when 
Jesse gets knocked off the bike and you see the helmet flip around <laughs> and you see the video image from the command center point of view. That's the only thing I remember seeing. I can't remember <laughs> anything else until obviously I've recently watched it. That's the only excerpt I remember watching uh-huh. even years from now. That's the one I remember. I remember watching it with my dad mainly. Uh, my dad was into the show I didn't remember really any specific episodes as a kid, you know, that I watched, but the faint memories were that the bike could, what I would call turbo boost like kit, you know, Mm -hmm. whenever he needed to. And then there was that moment, uh, at least in the, uh, it was in the pilot and also in that episode that you mentioned where he gets separated from the bike. And it's almost like, um, it's almost like being, you know, separated from a part of you, you know, yeah. and you're out kind of by yourself. You don't have any weaponry on you at all. All you are is this dude in a black suit with a dark, you know, face shield. And even like in your, what the episode you were talking about, he loses the helmet altogether. Right. So he's, you know, he's away from the bike and the, the bad guys are kind of between him and getting back to the bike into his actual firepower you know i remember that kind of feeling or that bit about the show and that kind of stuck with me but i hadn't watched it uh up until probably about two years ago when i actually bought the dvd set and for our review was about the third time that i've been through the show so i've deviated a little bit from our plan behind the rediscovered podcasts and that I have watched it a little bit more, but I knew you hadn't watched it at all. So I'm glad we are getting to review it. Right. Like you said, it's kind of like a half truth, if you want to call it that. Uh, but you're right. I haven't watched it. I haven't seen it. I knew of it type of thing. And that's that's really the extent of it. I, I've, I guess I never had a reason to look back, which is hilarious because I like my 80s. I like all the classics. Um, it's a pretty sad we're calling it the classics. The Jesus. All that. <laughs> But, you know, um, I, I, for some reason, it's one of those I just never was, I guess, ambitious to look for until we got this assignment. And it's, yeah. man, I'm, I'm, I loved it, except for episode nine, because I have no idea what episode nine is. My, my, <laughs> I don't know what it is about my link, the, the link that you sent me. I uh-huh. can't watch episode nine. I, I, I don't know if it's like, it keeps saying that player's not available, video feed's not available. I get everything but the video. Well, we'll get to that because that was a pretty good episode. It was actually one of my favorites. So I'm sorry that you missed that one. We actually found the show. I found it over there on, I think it was Daily Motion, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they had uh, pretty much every episode uploaded, including the little documentary clip they have with the DVD set was on there as well. So that was, I was glad to find that on there for you. So I didn't have to like mail you my set, you know? Right. But anyway, I'm, well, let's go a little bit through the development of the show, and then I'll turn it over to you. You can kind of go through its broadcast and home video history, and we'll kind of keep going back and forth kind of like that through my notes here. All right, sounds great. The development, the working title for Street Hawk was actually called The Falconer. I thought that was interesting in that they, I don't know, like the bird, <laughs> the bird metaphor, I guess. Okay. Or something. I don't, um the main characters were created by a guy named Paul Bellis. He was the creative and supervising producer 
He wrote the pilot and uh, one of the other episodes, the Unsinkable 453 episode. This guy was also known for producing shows like Quantum Leap. Uh, he also wrote an episode of that and writing episodes for the Jeffersons, the Incredible Hulk, Silk Stockings, and a lot more. Another creative and executive producer was uh, Bob Walterstorff. And he's got basically the same kind of writing credits as Bellas. I, I guess they, they might have been a team for a while. But uh, he wrote some shows, uh, also wrote the story for the 1994 Little Rascals movie. So these two guys were essentially the creators of the show. The kind of core format, what I'll call, was developed by Bruce Lansbury, and he's actually the brother of Angela Lansbury, who was the star of Murder, She Wrote. And he had initially commissioned the creation of the program. And he I, he did get a uh, creator and supervising producer credit with the show. But his other credits include uh, producing shows, like I said, Murder, She Wrote. He was on producing that show, Buck Rogers, Wonder Woman, Mission Impossible, and Wild Wild West. And he was also a producer for 21 episodes of Knight Rider from 85 to 86. So that pedigree in there, you can kind of see you know, how that translated into Street Hawk having a Knight Rider under your belt. Right. Another kind of developer or a key part of the show, I think was the, the music, which was uh, done by the, this group called Tangerine Dream. And this was actually the, the Street Hawk theme was actually put on an album. It was basically a song before it became the Street Hawk theme, but they did the, the music for the show, which I thought was fantastic. All the synthesized new wave eighties music that we're accustomed to. And building off of the theme of the show into other smaller little, you know, bits that you hear during the episode, I thought was really great. Uh, so that um, we'll get into the music a little bit more a little bit later. But I'm going to turn it over to you, Wyatt, and let's talk about the kind of broadcast history and its released uh, home video. Right, originally broadcast on January 4th through May. 16th on in uh, 1985 on ABC like we said it ran for 13 episodes including a 90 minute pilot episode it was also broadcast in in at least eight other countries street hawk was originally planned for the fall of 1984 which was the monday primetime slot at 8 p.m. eastern 7 p.m. central man i missed those <laughs> you remember back in the day when everything was like everything was layered like that, advertising yeah. everything. Watch at 8 p.m. Seven Central or something like that. Um, <laughs> however, ABC executives changed their minds when the summer series Call to Glory did well and decided to push Street Hawk to mid-season. It then ran on Friday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. Reruns aired on USA Network. Man, I loved old USA Network. I did too. I'll leave that tangent go. Uh, I was going to talk about the Airwolf tangent, but I'll leave that go. Um, it was yeah on Saturdays at 10 a.m. from 1990 to 91. There were two official releases of the Street Hawk pilot movie on VHS in 1985. One was from MCA Canada and contained the full 90-minute pilot, which was actually 76 minutes. Obviously, you got to account for commercials. Right. And the other was the U.S. MCA release that ran about 60 minutes. Uh-oh. We always got to yep. pop into something, don't we? Uh, 
there are short bits of footage that are unique to each release. For example, the US version includes a line or two of dialogue not present in the Canadian version. Other differences include a blue lightning style primary weapon in the Canadian version, whereas the red laser beam from the rest of the series appears on the US release. And actual stunt jumps on the US tape instead of matted in fake jumps in the Canadian version. That's interesting. Yeah. On July 13th of 2010, Shout Factory. I like them now. I've been liking them for a while. They like to release stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they released Street Hawk, the complete series, a four DVD box set featuring all 13 episodes of the series. There were special features which included all new 41 minute documentary entitled The Making of a Legend and an unaired pilot featuring different Street Hawk firepower. And, and now it is streaming on Amazon Prime, at least for the time being. Well, it was, yeah. When I, when I originally did these notes, it was on Prime, and now they've removed it. But you can find it on Amazon to, to, to get it direct. Yeah, and Shout Factory has, from time to time, run marathons on their channel, on their streaming channel. They have one? Dude, I need to find that. Now you tell me. <laughs> they're the ones that released Viper. Viper is out, but... When I've looked at, um, I looked at Amazon for it. It was like a sixty-dollar box set or something. Like, yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait till it comes down. <laughs> yeah. So they, it's. I've got a Roku player, so it's on there that you okay. can uh, find the Shout Factory channel. But yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was just like last month, maybe that they they ran the like full thirteen episode marathon. Nice. So. You can find it there sometimes. Let's dip into the merchandise a little bit. Uh, wasn't a lot, obviously because it only lasted uh, 13 episodes. But it was pretty big in the UK. And they actually had four novelizations published by Target Books in the UK. There was uh, One book was basically adapted the, the pilot episode. And then three other books took two separate episodes into one novel there and adapted them. Uh, the toys, I really wish we would have got some more toys because I would be trying to hunt those down. Uh, there is a model, a uh, you know, like a plastic glue together model of Jesse's Mustang. I've seen that. Ertl, who they released, a, have released a lot of die cast stuff over the mm-hmm. years. They actually released a Street Hawk stunt bike in the UK that had one of those like friction wheels with the pull strip. Yep. You know, you, yep. you it pulled it in and you ripped the strip out and it, you know, you go doing stunts, right? That kind of thing. Um, they released one of those. There was other little color and activity books. There was a read along cassette book over in the UK. There was even some knockoffs in other countries. Uh, I want to say over in the like, uh, Indonesia, those type of places had some figures that were labeled as Street Hawk. They were, you know, knockoffs of other figures. Right. Um, and then there was a video game released on the ZX Spectrum, which was, I believe, mainly a uh, UK computer video game system that came out. And have not tried to play that. I know there are some emulators online. Uh, if you go to archive.org, I believe it's there. And uh, I also found a pretty cool Street Hawk site I did want to plug as well. I think it's just streethawkonline.com. And they have a way to get the 
the emulator and, and actually play the game there as well. So I've seen pictures of it. I have not uh, actually played it, but uh, I don't know. Maybe someday I'll have to try that out, see if it's any good. Uh, let's now, Wyatt, let's go ahead and uh, let's get into the synopsis of the show and get into some of the characters and and uh, I'll say voice actors of the show because uh, the uh, the intro was pretty much, I think, what everybody remembers. Right. Opening credits. So the... Really, the the synopsis is Jesse Mock, who is an ex-motorcycle policeman, injured in the line of duty, now a police troubleshooter. He's been recruited for a top-secret government mission to ride Street Hawk, an all-terrain attack motorcycle designed to fight urban crime. I'm trying to do like they do. I don't have to. (laughs) People of incredible speeds up to 300 miles an hour and immense firepower. Only one man, federal agent Norman Tuttle, knows Jesse Mock's true identity. The man, the machine, Street Hawk. <laughs> that was pretty good, actually. I like that. This is Jesse Mock, an ex-motorcycle cop injured in the line of duty. Now a police troubleshooter. He's been recruited for a top-secret government mission to ride Street Hawk, an all-terrain attack motorcycle designed to fight urban crime, capable of incredible speeds up to 300 miles an hour and immense firepower. Only one man, federal agent Norman Tuttle, knows Jesse Mock's true identity. The man, the machine, Street Hawk. That guy, I, I don't recall who he. Uh, he's. I got him written down here. We'll get to him. He's been. He was in a couple other. Uh, once I, you see his credits, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, okay." I'm sure I, I hear his voice. But uh, yeah, so let's. That was kind of the main. You know, that opening sequence was great, and I'm glad that they left it in each time, each episode. You yeah, know, I, like it, it. I don't know. For some reason, you don't need it after you know the. <laughs> fourth or fifth episode you're gonna understand what's going on but i just like that whole sequence and it just kind of you know brought everything together and you think about a short run series like this and somebody tuning in at episode four or five they want to understand you know what the backstory is and you just drop in that little 60 second or 90 second narrative and they're right there you know they don't need anything else right i don't know what it was you know like Knight Rider. Knight Rider had a, the pilot never had a voiceover, but then later it did. Same, mm-hmm. um, I think the same with um, Highwayman. But even Airwolf had a little bit of a uh, intro after the pilot for, I think it was about three or four episodes when Lance Legault uh, did it. And then he disappeared off the scene, which it was probably not so bad, but Rewatching all this, I mean, that that was kind of the establishment. Mm-hmm. But yes, if you're in, th- you know, season three, you know, you don't really need to reestablish it. But that's what made Night Rider so fun was hearing Night Rider one, one man. You know, it was just yeah. awesome. But anyway, yeah, and I you do notice that from season to season, like in Night Rider, because at the beginning you're like, where's where's uh. Well, night. Where's him saying one man can make a difference, Michael? Well, even you know? that. I'm sorry, we're on a bunny trail, but <laughs> like the season one, the uh, ending credits had him. You know, one man can make a difference, Michael. And then it goes off, Michael Knight. You know, a lone right. creator. 
you know, he does that to Peter it off. And that was always awesome. I loved watching that. But then you get into season two and season three. And so it's, where'd it go? Hey, <laughs> where'd it go? It's supposed to be there. It's part of it. Right. Anyway. Yeah. You know, you get used to it. You do. Uh, especially, I mean, I, there's no diss on really uh, voice acting nowadays, but those guys were, that was the professionals back then, you know. You get the, the, the they get the celebrity now to do all the voiceovers for right. the movies and such, uh, and you get one guy that had that distinctive voice, and you you popped him in, and you know the, he knew how to narrate, you know, a, a, just a few lines of dialogue. It makes a lot of difference, I think. Right. So anyway, well let's uh, let's jump into the characters on the show and uh, the actors behind them, uh, of course. Jesse Mock is our main character, played by Rex Smith, who was a bit of a teenage idol uh, back in the day. Actually released some records. You, you smile and it's okay. You take my breath away. Like water from a spring on a sizzling summer day. You take my breath away. There are for the magic of a sunrise. Only none of them will do. And uh, did a little uh, just from the uh, the documentary there. He's talking about you know doing a little tour. I don't know if he was hitting the malls or whatever, but you know, teenage heartthrob in the late seventies. Uh, and basically I, th- I want to say this was his first like major role. They had actually uh, had screen tested George Clooney for the role of Jesse mock. And uh, he was actually one of the creators. It was his first choice, but ABC didn't want him, And he ended up, you know, guest appearing in that second episode. Mm-hmm. Also read that Don Johnson was considered for the role of Jesse Mock. Interesting. But he became unavailable when NBC picked up Miami Vice in 1984. So as, you know, as the development was going the year before is when Miami Vice took off. So he w- was essentially not taken for that role. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, th- I, I liked uh, Rex Smith. I thought... Well, I'll get into some of our favorite things later in the episode, but I thought he did a great job as uh, as Jesse Mock and you know going through the pilot and you know the the show off and then having the you know his partner go down and being frustrated and being in the PR role and then getting back on the bike and and everything. I just I thought he played it very well and can't really imagine you know anybody else doing it. He just, you know, just seemed to fit that role perfectly to me. Right. I agree. I, I liked him uh, in this series. I did not know that George Clooney and, and Don Johnson were up for, for grabs. I really didn't uh, remember seeing that, but I thought he fit the role very, very well. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you can see, uh, and I, like you said, we'll get down to here a couple of actors, actresses. Um, but I thought he fit the role pretty nicely. Yeah. That leads us on to Joe Regabuto, who plays Agent Norman Tuttle. You know, it's funny how people can just look the part, and he looked the part. 
uh, sounds corny, but he looked the part of the computer guy, you know, that would yeah. do this. He's known for TV. He's done on TV like Frank Fontano on Murphy Brown, um, including the new season, which I've yet to watch any of Murphy Brown. <laughs> I haven't watched any of it either, but I I did know he was uh, one of the main characters on that show for a long time. I, uh, he was on Mork and Mindy. That's where I probably remember seeing him the most. I I, I remember seeing his face. I just couldn't place him. Mm-hmm. He was on Knott's Landing, uh, Magnum P.I., Ace Crawford, Private Eye, uh, The Associates. He's also appeared recently, somewhat recently, on NCIS, JAG, Castle, Night Court. I got to watch it now. I got to find him one night. <laughs> and a lot of others. Uh, his movie credits include... Raw Deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lassiter, The Sword and the Sorcerer, Deadly Weapon, and The Star Chamber. He has also directed, uh, TV director, including 43 episodes on George Lopez, 20 episodes of Murphy Brown, kind of here and there for Friends, Veronica's Closet, Titus, and others. He's been all around. I didn't realize he was so involved. Yeah, and it's been, uh, you know, mainly those bit parts except for like you know what we were talking about with murphy brown uh being on there for several several seasons but yeah he's like a lot of actors do they jump behind the camera at at some point and start directing and i guess it's just a natural offshoot to you know get behind the camera after you've been in front of it for a while you know another bunny trail but i've noticed a lot of people especially if they're in this series long enough they become in some form, typically the executive producer, if not the director, it's one or the yeah. other. And it's just fascinating to see how how deeply they get involved in the whole making of their yeah their, uh, their show or movie or whatever it is. It's just uh, I find it fascinating when you're starting to read the credits. You know, back in the day, we never read the credits. We didn't watch. We didn't see. Right. You know, we might recognize you know uh, uh, David Hasselhoff or something, but other than that, we really didn't care. Now I go through, I I start to pay attention. Then I see it, you know, yeah, you know, I didn't pay attention to Joe, but we'll use him as an example. Joe, you know, Ragabuto. Oh, he's a he's the director too. What? What? Well, that's cool. Okay, he's really yeah. involved. I like this. Yeah, it's it's almost like they become one of the showrunners once the you know the show is successful and start going across multiple seasons, and they get so well, much I'm tied like- to it. Right, that they want to make sure that it's done right, and you know, in the style that they remember from episode one. Right. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, on to the next character. We'll get on to uh, Commander Leo Antibelli, who was played by Richard Venture. He uh, actually passed away in December of 2017. Uh, he is mainly supporting roles. He was on three episodes of New Heart as Doc Owens. He did uh, several episodes of Falcon Crest and several guest roles, including Murder, She Wrote, Seinfeld, L.A. Law, and Law and Order. He also had some supporting movie roles, including Sin of a Woman with Al Pacino, Courage Under Fire, that one was with Denzel Washington, and Red Corner with Richard Gere. So he was, I remember him being in Seinfeld or. His he always has that kind of familiar face, uh, and he it feels like you've seen him in everything. Uh, I, mean, I, it was I don't remember later. seeing him at all. 
it, it's more if you look at the older pictures of him after Street Doc, like in the earlier '90s when he's got the full gray hair. Uh, that's when I remember him. Mm. Remember seeing him and other things. So that moves us along to Rachel Adams, who played Janine Wilson. Janine Wilson replaced Jane Modine as the female lead after the pilot because the producers felt that Modine was too young for the role. Interesting. Uh, She played D.A. Janet Fowler in 33 episodes, plus a 1995 movie of Simon and Simon. That's where I've seen her. I couldn't place Mm -hmm. her. Captain Betty in the Stir Crazy TV series spinoff of the prior Wilder film. Guest roles in A Team. Don't remember her there, but I remember her in The Dukes of Hazard. In fact, she was one of the, on one of the earliest episodes. Uh, Bionic Woman, Murder She Wrote, Love Boat, and so on. I actually liked. Uh, call it wrong. Maybe it was just because she was the, on the pilot, but I think I liked Jane Modine better as the character than I did Janine. I. Even though I followed it, I watched the whole episode, and maybe you have a different take, Jason, but it, it just seemed like, again, maybe it's the pilot. You know, you get that first run of people, and that's what, that establishes it for you. But I, I thought Jane was better suited for me. I didn't see that she was the younger person. Yeah, I, I in the pilot, too, it was more or less, it, it seemed like she was, like, fresh on the job. You know, the young type, they just, she wants to be in uh, PR or, you know, reporting news media and the way they put Jeannie in, you know, the office there, it was always more or less just to play off of what Jesse was doing and to mm-hmm. give him a hard time about something or it was, it was essentially a, a, a totally different character. So I wouldn't necessarily, you know, like they said, they, they replaced her, but, I don't view them as the same character themselves, you know? Right. So I don't know. Take it for what it's worth. I, I enjoyed them both. I think they both did a, a good job and I just didn't see it as being uh, two people playing the same character Mm. and the way that it, um, the way it came off. So, and then we'll get on to, let's get on to the motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. Star of the show. Uh, (laughs) The motorcycle in the pilot episode was based on the 1983 Honda XL500 trail bike. And the motorcycle used in the series were based on the 1984 Honda XR500s. And the motorcycles in the stunt shots were based on Honda CR250s. So they used several different bikes, obviously, for the, you know, probably for like the intro and Mm-hmm. You know, the, the style shots, kind of like what they did with Kid and every other vehicle that they destroyed, you know, in those uh, TV series back in the day where you've got the show vehicle and then you got the one that does all the stunts that they can just right. destroy. So the and you can kind of see that if you watch real closely in the shots when they're doing the, you know, the jumps and everything that it's a different bike, uh, mainly in the front with the suspension and all that. But you know, that's that was uh, basically show business with all these Hollywood uh, cars and vehicles back in the day. The pilot motorcycle was designed by Andrew Probert, and the series motorcycles were designed by Ron Cobb. During the filming, the fiberglass bike parks constantly flew off the bike, of course, 
during the stunts mm-hmm. and the they had a second crew unit that always had six bikes standing by to replace the hero bikes jump or what you know whatever maneuver so they always had six on hand because you know obviously with these stunt work and all that they're yeah. parts flying off and all that and then a little fun fact i found about the bike honda actually sued the producers and universal claiming that the series name was too similar to their nighthawk motorcycle but they dropped the suit after the series was canceled so they didn't pursue that after they pulled the pulled the series for you know being on for those three months uh and let's get on to a few of the supporting cast or guest stars during the show and here's where we can we find the uh opening credits narrator ernie anderson and you can hear him I instantly, once I saw this credit, I was like, yes, Jason, the wheeled warriors, mm-hmm. that whole, that whole beginning intro sequence. It's the same guy. Thundering across the stars to save the universe from the monster minds. Jay searches for his father to unite the magic root and lead his lightning league to victory over the changing form of saw boss. Wheeled warriors explode into battle. Lightning strikes. There's a power that comes from also on the Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3 and even uh, had some roles on Mr. Belvedere as a narrator. Interesting. It's a very uh, distinctive voice. And we had Christopher Lloyd, which was awesome to see him. And in fact, to be the villain in the pilot episode, you, you know, we're used to him being just the... He he got typecast with with Back to the Future. At yeah. least for me, I don't remember seeing him in Taxi, but I know that he had had a big role as a taxi cab driver there. But he's still yeah. a, a good guy in that essence. Um, but to see him as the villain in this episode, it just he did a great job, a fabulous job. But I got again typecast that. Yeah, Mark Brown, what are you doing? <laughs> He's been in now. I do remember this might have been his first like really villainous role. Uh, I haven't followed his career very much, but you know he he's always he was like the goofball mm-hmm. in Taxi, and of course Doc Brown. We all know Doc Brown. He was the villain in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes, he was, and he was also a villainous character in the Dennis the Menace movie. He played oh, this like hobo or bum. I got to watch it. Oh, it's been years for me, but uh, I do remember watching that several times, probably back in the early nineties. I can, I can't remember exactly how he played into the, the plot of the movie, but I remember him being like this hobo <laughs> homeless guy that was like manipulating Dennis. Uh, so he has played a few villainous roles, but I thought he did great in this one. He did. You know, the scenes where he's intimidating uh, that the uh, was it the mayor or somebody that one of the, you know, political officials of the town, they throw him on the trunk of the car and he takes that screwdriver and just kind of, you know, start scratching the the hood right in front of his face. I was like, oh, my gosh, he's this is awesome. (laughs) I was supposed to handle mock. I told you no more murders. Let's just get one thing straight. You don't tell me anything. I tell you. Not anymore. I'm out. I need that shipment. New York is expecting it. Tell him your source just dried up. 
business commitment. I expect you to live up to it. I might get a little carried away. And that wouldn't be very good for your pretty little car and your pretty little face. Do we understand each other? There's a couple other times where he's like, you know, kill mock. And anyway, I, I thought he was, uh, he was pretty good. Didn't do, uh, wasn't very good in that black vehicle. Once you got him off road. No, he wasn't, uh, <laughs> but uh, I thought he did a great job. And then we already mentioned uh, a couple times, George Clooney. Mm-hmm. This was one of his earlier roles. I believe he had some other, you know, guest appearances in television, uh, facts of life. I know he was on there and then obviously he would go on to do it. Probably uh, his first major series was ER, but um, yeah, he, I thought he did a fun job in this one too, playing Jesse's friend while being hired by uh, this villainous character to take out street Hawk. So it was this epic battle, you know, back and forth uh, and until they, you know, that, junkyard scene at the end when they finally figure out what who is what right and it's too late then to to kind of back off you know circumstances already happened in the episode so much for your influence ah, forget it it's just a ticket so how'd you find me buddy i asked the neighbor he said you were here so where you got going i'm only in town a couple of days i want to spend some time before another 10 years goes by great i was just getting ready to take norman to some of the old haunts uh, jesse i think i'll beg off you two go ahead okay oh no no you're not leaving on my account no it's it's fine really i have lots to do i'm busy it's the guys are workaholic oh. i guess it's time he learned to party right partner i think you're right buddy no seriously but <laughs> i never trusted people who use the word party as a verb <laughs> I thought he did a good job in that episode. Agreed. And we have Dennis France, federal agent and rival to the commander in episode 12. He was a lead role on NYPD Blue for several seasons. Yes, I remember him. I've never really watched that consistently, but I knew who he was. Uh, I knew he was like the the hard-nosed, yeah. stiff-necked type of character, and that's what he played there as the, as the FBI agent. Man, yeah. he's the one guy... He does so great. I hate him because he's, he's not good. You know exactly. He's always and he's had. He's been one of those perpetual cop and FBI agents, and you know his whole career mainly is mm-hmm. what I envision him as. Um, I, he was on a episode of Miami Vice. I remember. Uh, so he had several other little bit parts in in other series like that before NYPD Blue took off, which I think was in the maybe early to mid nineties. And uh, it was a show we watched for several seasons, mainly towards the end of the run when they had uh, Zach Morris. Uh, what's his name? Mark Paul Gossler was his partner or was part of the, uh, the unit there. That's kind of when we were watching that, that series, but it was, it was pretty critically acclaimed. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a great actor. I really like him. And then the one that you missed, I'll throw a couple of names out there. Joanna Kearns, who we know as the mom on Growing Pains. Uh, in episode nine, she plays uh, Norman's kind of long lost love from uh, college. And she's this like research scientist type person. 
And at the building where she works, the company there, the head of security was played by Charles Napier. Now he, he's been in many villainous roles. Uh, I remember him as the, uh, one of the team that sends Rambo back to Vietnam in, uh, in first blood part two and Rambo comes back and just, you know, that's when he like machine guns, the whole office and, and goes over the Charles Napier mission accomplished, you know, puts his knife down right by his face. But he's been in a slew of things, Knight Rider, you know, probably all those shows that we loved back then in the eighties, he's been on an episode and played a bad guy. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, So those, uh, those two are in that episode. And there was a, a few others that were semi-recognizable uh, as uh, you're watching the show. Bianca Jagger, who was married to Mick Jagger at the time. But those were the main ones that kind of stuck out to me. So let's finally, uh, after we've gone through uh, kind of the history of the show and, and who's on the show, let's talk about our favorite and uh, least favorite episodes. We're not going to go through all 13. Let's just pick off a couple maybe that uh, stood out to us and maybe some that were like, yeah, I'll skip to the next one. <laughs> um, going through, I, I guess I really liked the pilot as far as everything. Cause you, again, I guess that's the establishment, but you got to see a lot of things you got to see um, kind of, I, I hated to do it, but I simulated a lot of things like you had the call it the, the super pursuit mode, on mm-hmm. on uh street hawk with the hyper thrust well that and then the, the little brakes to kind of stop. right right yeah 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 it had turbo boost i mean seriously um they called it um something else but they did that um they the the helmet kind of reminded me uh although it's very it's not as as robust i'll call it but kind of reminded me of like robocop you know, you had to have that visor and you had the little screen inside. Yeah. Um, he had the ejector seat and I, and I couldn't help but think of Sly Rack so from Mask. <laughs> I was surprised. I don't remember them using it at all during the series, but they just didn't. in the pilot episode when they were, Norman was trying to, you know, show him all the features and everything on the bike. Right. But there was a lot of good episodes and it's hard to pick another, another one. I, I picked out like a lot of, the sound effects like you could hear the turbo boost after you know on season two and on from Knight Rider uh just things like that I picked up but I guess my favorite was probably that or maybe episode seven I can I don't remember the title but we have this oriental guy who steals a small statue called the ivory emperor uh, mm-hmm. from uh and for at first I had to actually wait the episode three when I was jotting down the notes because I thought that they were literally in a Lotus Imports dealership. Like <laughs> that's where they were filming. And then it took me a while watching the episode before I figured out, oh no, they're importing whatever the goods. It's not a car dealership. Yeah. Um, China, Chinatown Memories was that episode. Right. Uh, we got a cameo of the flag truck in there. I was all over that. Oh, I missed that in the yeah. in episode seven. In episode seven. It's in it's in there. Uh uh along with um you do you remember Knight Rider when they would pull into the truck? Mm-hmm. The there's this little box that would come down over his hood. They had that 
in the command center. So yeah, it, that was all over there. Um, that was a good episode. I liked that because his, and this is something I really liked about the show. He had a secret identity. Oh, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't know what it is about that, but when you got the secret identity and anytime that's in jeopardy, you know, like when he's disconnected from the bike, he loses the helmet. And this one, he, you know, runs into the uh, old girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Who kind of figures it out at the end. And, and he essentially has to has to trust her that she's not going right. <laughs> to spill the beans, you know. So that was interesting about this episode as well. I, I like that aspect. Right. Like I said, that that was probably one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you? What was your favorite episode? Uh, well, I'm, I'm probably going to keep <laughs> going back to it, but the, well, the pilot was great. I, I did like the pilot because you want a good origin story and you want to, you know, kind of learn how these two characters get together. That is, you know, Norman and Jesse, but I, I thought it was fun. The, uh, you know, the whole, he's the, you know, the show off and jumping the police cars at the beginning and, mm-hmm the uh the commander's all pissed off you know <laughs> trying to track him down who it is uh and then just you know just the whole journey in that first episode i thought was great and the fact that he's you know trying to revenge his partner and right. nobody nobody else is following up on this case and he's kind of taking the law into his own hands so uh i don't know you know the secret identity it was almost like he was a superhero it, it, when he's on Street Hawk to me. Oh yeah, and that was set up right from the beginning. So you know, like we talked about with uh, Christopher Lloyd, and uh, it, there was it was just some some really good shots. The the one at the end when you know it was going to come up because he had talked about it earlier about trying to do a backflip with the you know the hype the uh, turbo boost whatever they yeah. called it. Um, anyway. Yeah, and trying to do a back, <laughs> trying to do yeah, trying to do a backflip on the bike, and bringing that into play at the end, and watching them destroy that black truck <laughs> over the cliff. Um, I don't know. I, I I enjoyed it all. I thought the pilot was great. Episode two with Clooney, I just I loved it because it's everything I love about eighties television. Because you get <laughs> you get these you know ridiculous clothes that you know they wore back in the day. And there's this whole montage of them on the boardwalk and there's, you know, the girls in bikinis roller skating by and they're at the little carnival or something there on the boardwalk and they're winning animals for the girls, you know, and there's this rivalry, you know, and then there's this whole scene where they're uh, just going out for a joyride on some dirt bikes on a, on a track and racing. And, you know, Clooney is always has to win and he, you know, rubs his tire against him, makes Jesse wreck. And there was that whole kind of tension there. And, and then just the way, you know, they were both almost like two Titans or they're, they're at the top of their game. As far as it being able to control these vehicles, he had that, uh, knockoff, uh, general Lee, I guess you would say, wasn't that a that, charger? That was a 60 charger, yeah. 69 charger with the general Lee rims on it. So I'll, yeah. I'm, I would call that probably my second favorite just because it had <laughs> General Lee in it, you know. But there are some great scenes with uh, with them going, you know, back and forth and kind of feeling each other out as Street Hawk and as this 
this dude in the in the charger. But I really like that episode uh, as well. I thought that was one of my favorites. Uh, any of the ones that you were just like, eh, get me through this. Episode five, which had a music video. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, there was a video producer that played on Airwolf twice. I can't, I, I didn't jot down who it was, but I I noticed who he was. The, had a couple of shuffles, but there, it seemed so like there was so much more drama that they lengthened it so much. I was like, they didn't know what to put into it. There was just not a lot of action. Not for me. I mean, There's just not a lot of action there about the bike, about uh, Jesse and, you know, the bad guys. And and, and then at the end, it, it was just like a classic mask episode. I keep going back to it, but the, the, the bad guy at the end is like, the scene was completely too short. Just like mayhem and mask. Yeah. Oh, let's go because you know things got tough. I'm like, what yeah. the heck? It was one of those episodes you could have dropped that. That might have, you know, might have lasted longer. Yeah, and the whole thing where he's trying to convince her to do like a public service announcement, you know, and right. she's supposed to be the the Debbie Gibson or the Tiffany of the time, you know, mm -hmm. and it was it was a little bit uh, slow. We'll right, say, that one. I'm going to interrupt you. Episode four is where you see the flag truck. Episode four. I, okay. I have it written down here. It was the, it was the flag computer, that thing that comes down that was in episode, what did I say? Seven. Yeah. Episode seven. Okay. Number four is actually one of my least favorites, the Vegas run, which was, uh, we followed the showgirl that, uh, mm -hmm. that jumps in a cab and just haphazardly runs into Jesse and Norman and they are trying to help her out and get her back to this courthouse and testify against her mobster boyfriend. You know, it had, uh, <laughs> it had that movie bailout that we reviewed all over it. Oh yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like the same plot. You know, the whole trick where, uh, she, she tricks Norman, uh, Oh, I'm going to go take a bubble bath and, you know, and she uh, steals his car and bails out on him. You know, I was like, "This is this, this is that movie all over yeah, again." Yeah. So I, that one was just kind of, I don't know. I, I I didn't really care for that one. I was ready for that one to be over. I did. There wasn't an episode that I turned off of the show, but there are some that kind of drag or just are not interesting plots to me. The only thing I liked about out of that whole episode because that was probably my second least favorite was that one uh -huh. uh, was the helicopter at least the paint job was the same one as you saw on airwolf where they introduced kate which was entitled sweet britches so okay i i, I kind of liked it in that regard and but that was all i liked about it <laughs> yeah there was uh, there was a few other episodes but as far as uh well you know uh, episode three is when i started noticing that jesse never walked around with his bum leg ever again he limped around in episode two, episode three. It's all healed up. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> like, really? Okay. Yeah. They didn't at least extend that a little bit longer, you know? Just yeah. Make... Well, I thought, it, I guess episode two, he was kind of favoring that when he dumps the bike um, in the junkyard. But yeah, now that I think about it, I, I didn't even notice it past like the pilot. Because it was almost like, okay, so he's ready now to be on the bike that he doesn't need the doesn't need a cane or anything right. like that anymore. 
but yeah, it, it kind of did that. Episode three was actually pretty good. I did like that one. Yeah. That's where uh, you get this uh, New York City cop that comes in. The actor was pretty, I thought he was pretty good at being the bully. He, he is very good. He played on um, Airwolf and Dam Breakers. And he was the, on that episode, he, was, he had the same character, but mm. it was more of a, uh, he's kind of a cult leader in that episode, living this life of goodness, goody two shoes. But then they were out there, an old, an old bomber breaking dams. You know, we can have uh, it. So, yeah. Yeah, that one was a pretty good one. I liked his character. And I liked that scene at the end when uh, Streethawk turbo boosts into the building, mm-hmm. into that like uh, theater or whatever it was, where he's trying to look for the money. And yeah. before it's going to be, you know, destroyed and then gets out in the nick of time. Uh, that, was, that was just some fun stunt work there. Oh, yeah. So, what other episodes did you uh, have down? Uh, I had oh, good I or bad, down, but um, you know me and finding picking things out. Episode six, I noticed that they had this uh, this chase scene. Uh, this is where there's a, I think it's a fire. Yeah, the the local business yeah. owner, they're getting fired, and the guy's wanting to keep his business going. He doesn't want to be bullied out of his business, essentially. Right. And uh, towards the end, they're having this this scene, and there's a Streethawks chasing this Jeep. Well, it f- does a flip scene just like the A team in the intro. I'm like, yeah. dude, that's, that had to be the same Jeep or same scene. It looked spot on like it. There were some other great ones. It was actually starting to get better as it got closer to episode 13. Like they, they got all the all the stunts in, all the, yeah. all the scenes. You got to see that there was a, they added what was that, a low level radar that they threw on. Yeah, 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 yeah. To uh, track the ultralight. Yeah, it was just, I, I, I loved it. I loved what they did with it. I liked, the, like, episode 13, which was a great uh, cliffhanger in a way, where the phone company cut the cables or repairing the cables, so Command Center was completely disconnected from Street Hawk, and he's having to go out on his own, you know, and enormous, basically screaming, I can't see anything. Come back, come back. We're impaired. But Jesse's like, no, it's still functional. I just can't go to hyperthrust or whatever he says. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of back and forth, back and forth. But he's like, we got to still do our job, even if we can't do this. Right, right, right. Which I really liked. I liked that you saw how crippled the command center became, but still Street Hawk did everything mostly as functional as it could. So it, it was great to know that it, Streethawk was, could be completely independent of the right. command center. Yeah. That was, that was a good point there. And that, that was, uh, I don't know. They just seemed to build, you know, more functionality and mm-hmm. Norman just seemed to be adding stuff to it all the time, you know? And, uh, I always thought it was funny, you know, he's finding like these uh, small little hairpin crack in like the wheel or something. And he's worried about it. And I guess you would be if it's, you know, this is the bike that you built and you put $3 million into it. Yeah, that, really. You know, it would it would have some high tech of the time as well and, and beyond what the norm was. So, yeah, that was that was fun in that episode uh, and hearing him. And that was I really didn't write down any like favorite or least favorite characters in the show, but I did just feel like the rapport between. Jesse and Norman throughout the whole show was just a fun 
friendship back and forth and just the way that they would go at each other's throats while he's on the bike and you know norman wants him to get back to the command center and yet you know he would want to do this or that or come on just let me do one more thing tonight and get this gang away from this woman (laughs) in the park you know at whatever 11 o'clock or two o'clock in the morning um I don't know. I always just like their back and forth. And then Norman's kind of subtlety around girls. Cause you know, Jesse is just the, the ladies man mm-hmm. and could woo a nun, but <laughs> <laughs> Norman is just so timid and shy. And he's always trying to, that the episode, I don't know which one it was the episode where they're having lunch and Norman notices the waitress and Jesse's like egging him on. Come on, man, just ask her out or something. Or he's always like bringing her back over. Is something else I can get for you, sir? You know, and I don't know. I just, that whole scene was fun to me. Oh yeah. Did you, I mean, what did you think as far as just the way that they portrayed those characters and even some of the other characters that were on the show? They did very well with that character because you know, they're, they're, especially the pilot, maybe this in this episode two, they were really almost at each other's throats in, in some ways, because, you know, he didn't want to be there. The guy kept showing up all over the place. Norm kept showing up all over the place and really wanted him. And, you know, he's not, well, of course, in, this, in the pilot, he's like, no, I got a bum leg and blah, 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 blah. And then they get this tension. But mm-hmm. then as the series grows, the tension of being, well, really like an angst between each other, but working together has become to became a friendship where they trusted each other finally. Yeah. And even, you know, joking and, and, you know, having the kind of the fun, like, like you would in a regular, I guess, at work environment, maybe not in 2018, 2019 anymore, but you know, <laughs> that, that, that kind of uh, friend working relationship, the other characters, like, you know, the, the tension of, of the, the police, captain who is always looking for a street hawk i want this guy off this road blah, blah, blah. let's go find him blah, blah, blah. and he hawk's sitting there right looking at him you know <laughs> and I, I i would i don't know how i you know it obviously it's the character but you, you you i loved how he defended himself too in some ways especially around the girl i can't remember her name right now his co-worker yeah uh, it was Jeannie, fun. uh what's her name yeah so it was fun watching her Rachel, um, Rachel, Rachel to, I guess, really, he's there. He's in front. What, what do you got to got against this guy? You know, why do you want to catch him so bad? Why do you want to do this? And yeah, that, that, the, the animosity there while still kidding around, but then he just disappears. Where is he? <laughs> it was the, I kept waiting for the, the whole line of like, it's not my turn to watch him. That, something like that would come out because it was hilarious. Yeah, there was a, I mean, it was a lot of Clark Kent in him when he's at the office, yeah. you know, where, where is he? Where's he always going? And it was all, you know, cover for me, that kind of a thing. And she was always digging. There was one episode where she's like really digging into everything they have on street Hawk. And he's worried that she's going to find out. And, you know, so they had that whole, it was kind of cheesy, but at the same time, it was still fun. I thought. And then just going off what you were saying with the trust that they 
had with each other by the time episode 13 was there where yeah, Norman's still kind of screaming at him, but there's still a certain level of trust built at that time for Jesse to go out and do stuff where he has no control over the bike. Whereas, you know, you think about like the first couple episodes, it might've been in the pilot where, you know, Norman's like rigorously training him in that little gym that they have there. And Jesse pulls that move where he locks them in the gym mm-hmm. so he can take the bike out and, and go do whatever right. he needed to be needed to be done at the time. So you think about that moment versus episode 13, where they're having to trust each other a lot more. They really developed the characters over the course of the show. So oh, yeah. some good points there you made. Uh, any other like overall likes or dislikes you want to throw out is, is looking over the whole series basically, or any other things you, you picked out? I guess the only thing is that I, even though it's similarities and, and I get that, you know, especially with, with, uh, let me find his name here. The series series, uh, director or producer, mm-hmm. Bruce Lansbury, uh, working on Knight Rider. There's two, to me, there's just a hair too similarity to Knight Rider and, and to a degree, even if you want to call it Airwolf, because you got the hyper thrust, which is technically the turbos off of Airwolf. You got the turbo boost of kit along with the super pursuit mode breaks that they got vertical uh, lift. That's what they called it. Yeah. It, I get, they got to make this the super bike. So in a way it's great. It's cool. They've incorporated it all, but at the same time, it's like they stole it to make it cool. So there's that intertwining. They could have, I don't know what they could have done. I don't know if they could make it a, you know, a Brad Turner's car, a condor. Um, but <laughs> you know, something that made it independent of it. The, uh, the only thing it, I can't even say that. The only thing it did have was that hyper thrust, but it was technically, you know, tur- you know, the turbos off of Airwolf. Yeah. That's the only thing I would say that it, w- w- it was like a split hair on the one hand. It's so great. It's awesome that this thing has that it's the incredible star of the show. It's the vehicle, which is the start of the show like w- that we love, especially back in the eighties. On the other hand, it's like, why weren't they, couldn't they have created something, I guess, more unique to make it that sci-fi vehicle but it had its own oneness, that own its own thing. Um, oh, it like they put too much, except for maybe the command center and that helmet. You know, they kind of married Airwolf and Knight Rider together. Yeah, and that's the way I looked at. It. There's a lot of elements that they took to make one unique bike. Because you think about Kit, Kit really didn't have any weapons. Didn't have any like rocket launchers. Like they put oh. in, I, they didn't put in. I thought the pilot, I don't think, I think it wasn't until the actual season that they added the rockets. They had a rocket in the back end of all things. And that was a rock in the back end, which was, and then, uh, of course that laser that always turns around and pops out and he can shoot. And, you know, they had, they didn't fix kit with the laser for the car episode, which car. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, you, well, Airwolf had, Missiles and you well, know, got a laser in season four, which people will argue that one, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and just the you know, like we said, the pedigree of the the creator there and being involved in some of these other shows, yeah, maybe they did borrow some from the other shows, but I, I don't know, I, th- I thought it was still unique enough that 
it wasn't necessarily a direct ripoff. I didn't at least view it that way. Um, no, maybe it was, that. it was the elements too of like, well, like I said, I mean, there, it pulled like almost like a superhero mentality to it. And even with just the, the secret layer and coming through the doors, like it's it always reminded me of Batgirl from the 66 Batman yeah. series and the way that that bike kind of st- almost stole from that. But there were many, many different elements, I guess, that pulled together to make the the whole concept. So I, I don't know. I just never saw it as a direct like ripoff or a cousin to one of the other shows because it had some other elements to it. But it's, it, just looking at the bike, yeah, okay. So you, you put Kid into a bike. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it, didn't, plus, it didn't have the computer plus, screens, uh, too, but yeah. Well, yeah, you, you know. You had the the readout on the, you know, the motorcycle helmet, and so the yeah, there were some other different elements to it to make it work with the command center and and such. But I don't know. One thing that bugged me about it was the hyper thrust through the woods. Yeah, really. I think it was the it was the episode with the Vegas the the one I was talking about earlier the the Vegas girl where they actually go to hyper thrust and he's in a, like a wooded area. I'm like, Oh my gosh, really? Come on. Well, there's even an episode where they're doing the hyper thrust. I can't remember which one it is, but it, it seems like they, they keep cutting back and forth, but it seems like hyper thrust is going slower, even though the numbers are di- going up. It's like they're, you know, speed up mode on the, yeah. on the editors kept slowing down instead of speeding up the, the, the <laughs> The series, I'm like, this is not hyper thrust. This is like cripple crust, cripple yeah. or something. It was kind of because you you do watch the the readout and how fast he's going at some points, and it's hard not to pay attention to that sort of thing and how it matches up to what you're seeing. So I can understand that, but I don't know. At the same time, too, like you know, at the beginning of the show, more or less, they had the the stopping mechanism for hyperthrust. Mm-hmm. And then they went more into this kind of slow motion bionic man effect. Oh yes. Towards the end where, when he comes out of hyperthrust, it just kind of slow motion. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're back to normal now, which I didn't really care for. I, I kind of like the having a mechanism to actually physically stop you or slow you down rather than just, taking it out of hyper thrust gear or something, right. you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I just want to be picky about it. That was probably something I, I really didn't like, but I always thought it was weird too. That there was a, a lot in, you've got to film during the day because that's where you see the most, but from the very beginning, you know, when they're going out in the middle of the night um, and taking care of stuff at night, I always thought that felt more street Hawk than when he's, out kind of in the middle of the day and everybody can see him. That's it. There was that whole element and it it lasted pretty much throughout the whole series of, all right, I got to diffuse the situation and then haul butt uh, out of here before the cops get here. And there was that kind of aspect to it. And I don't know. It seemed like that some points during the day, it would be like too easy for somebody to spot him and call the cops and then kind of get there before everything went down. You know what I mean? 
So that always kind of felt weird to me, just when he's taking care of business during the day. I like him as the night vigilante, you know. I don't know. Um, I could swear. Now, you watch He-Man, right? Or have watched He-Man. The sound effect that they use, I think it's typically when he's coming out of the command center onto the street. It could be sometimes when he was doing the turbo boost or vertical lift. It sounds like one of the creatures from Masters of the Universe. Like the the random creatures that He-Man would come across and have to pick up and tie into a knot and throw back in the lake, you know. That could be. (laughs) It it and I'm gonna have to like confirm it. Maybe I'll do like, all right, here's uh here's a scene from Street Hawk, and then here's this creature from I always had that sound effect in my mind that both were the same. I, I don't know if you ever caught on to that or not. No, I didn't notice it, but wouldn't doubt it. I mean, they stole the freaking turbo boost sound effect. Just <laughs> what are you waiting for? Commendation? Get out of there! Use vertical lift! Say hello to Molcrum! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to add uh, as far as overall? No, I think it's time to motor back to the uh, command center. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I will emphasize again that the, uh, I really enjoyed the soundtrack and just like Knight Rider or any of the other shows that have those other little themes that will pop up from time to time as they're snooping around or it might be on me because I associated it more to like a news, like you might see on like uh, like an like a hometown news station. This uh-huh. it sounded more like that than it did what I would call a, a sci-fi type of theme, like Knight Rider or Airwolf or something like that. It just didn't catch me. It didn't not catch me like that. It caught me like I said, like more like a news or <laughs> you know, this just in to ABC or whatever. So yeah. Uh-huh. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and there's actually, if you go out to streethawkonline.com, uh, they've got several albums out there. Some are like more or less uh, tribute albums. Some that try to mimic, because there was never an actual soundtrack released other than the theme was part of this Tangerine Dream album. But there's some other, uh, like it, it's more retro wave and with the synthesizer and everything. Uh, what my wife calls Miami Vice music. Yeah. There's some albums out there. I would recommend everybody to click on over. And if you're into the music, like I was check out some of those tracks on there. I've downloaded a a couple of them and man, it sounds great. So I'm going to have to pump it through the car and see if I can pretend (laughs) I'm street hawking on my commute to work. I think you got two extra wheels. (laughs) I do. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. Well, um, I really, I think that's about all I have to say. Well, we kind of went over through everything else. Um, one more thing I'll reemphasize is the stunt work. I mean, the stunt work is the this the show to me. Oh yes. Watching it now, watching the, uh, you know, just the practical stunts that they did. They actually jumped over cars. They actually, you know, had the stunt drivers there. They're the shot where he's jumping over George Clooney's car 
jumping over fences and whatever else. Well, even zigzagging up that basketball stadium, that was actually pretty cool. Oh yeah, that was that was really fun. Uh, that was the Dennis Franz episode. They put him in some unique situations, oh, and yeah. then they just, to me, just overperformed on you know the stunts and that crashing through windows and through fire and everything else that they could think of. Uh, that one episode where uh, Rachel's having dinner with the businessman and the, their house catches on fire, and he yeah. kind of jumps through the uh, the house there to save them. And some of it may be a little ridiculous, but I don't know. I They found some really unique ways to put those stuntmen to work. And uh, you can really, you can really tell it watching it now. Oh yeah. So as an overall take, like we've done for each of these episodes, would you recommend uh, people go out and rediscover street Hawk or should they leave it in the past? Oh, definitely rediscover it. It, it, it was a, Great series, a couple of fluffs, you know, here and there, but overall, it was a great series. Should have lasted longer, so yes, definitely rediscovered. Yeah, I would definitely give it the uh, rediscover as well, and I would recommend too watching that documentary if you get a chance, either on Daily Motion or if you just want to go out and buy the series. I would just you're not going to be disappointed no. uh, if you go out and buy it. But Rex talks about, I think it was Rex or maybe even Joe. Uh, during the interview about how that move from Monday night and that slot, I think was actually right after football, which is a, like a prime slot and getting bumped to like, what was it? Friday nights. I think yes. that, when it originally aired just, you know, that whole move in itself was kind of backhanding the show and not giving it the opportunity to get the ratings into you know, have multiple seasons if it, if it would have been in that better slot. So yeah, I, I'm kind of sad. It didn't, we didn't get any, at least another season of shows and see what else they could put on that bike. <laughs> right. What was <laughs> Not too long ago. I saw a Facebook post. I was, I think I'm part of a street Hawk group. I know you just signed on one as well. Uh, Maybe the same one, but there was one where they had a reunion uh, more like a comic con, but over in Europe, mm-hmm. was it? maybe it's UK, but I, I thought it was Europe. Anyway, they actually had Street Hawk, they had a Street Hawk, they had uh, Rex, and they had Michael Knight, and you know a, a kit replica there. It was so fascinating, you know. You see him get jump on the bike, and you, he's like you know, <laughs> racing it down the road. It was actually kind of cool to see him there it took me a minute to recognize him because he's much older now yeah but it was it was cool and you can see that it's they're willing to go to the shows and, and you know yeah that's it, the uh they dug up some of the original bikes i believe over in the uk mm-hmm. um i remember watching a video i think of a, a person restoring one and uh so yeah they, i mean they had a huge following over there in the uk obviously to get a lot of the stuff that we didn't get over here in the in the U.S., but yeah, I'm I'm glad that they that uh, he is out there doing uh, some comic cons and stuff. Would like to meet him and uh, just uh, get his uh, you know take on it. Thirty five years later, whatever it is now, right? But uh, yeah, 
it's it's one of those that will forever be tied to the 80s and uh those those television shows that we watched for the cars and the vehicles more than we re- sometimes did for the actual story and actors and everything else right. where the uh the vehicle was the star so anyway we thank you guys for uh for taking this journey with us i would once again, recommend streethawkonline.com. There's uh, a couple uh, Facebook groups if you're into the show. Uh, I think one is called Streethawk Command Center. And uh, yeah, would love your feedback on the show. If you uh, decide to go out and, and pick up the DVD or, uh, or try to watch it over there on Daily Motion and uh, to give us your review and thoughts on the show. And uh, next time, Wyatt, I guess. We're back onto another cartoon series. We are. There's so many. Um, I don't know which one to choose from. But like we've said before, it's also dependent on if we can find them or not. <laughs> right. So your guess is yeah. yours. <laughs> yep. So we are. Uh, we're still adding to the list from time to time. I know I am. I find a few on uh, Amazon. A couple movies that I've put in my queue to watch again and watch for the first time. So uh, we're up for any and all suggestions you have for future rediscovered shows. And uh, thanks, as always, for subscribing and listening and and checking us out on YouTube. And uh, until next time, this is Jason. This is Wyatt. And thank you for coming down with us and being a part of Rediscovered. Thanks for listening to Rediscovered right here on the Rediscover the 80s podcast feed. Find our show notes at rediscoverthe80s.com and watch our recording sessions on the Rediscover the 80s YouTube channel. Theme music provided by Bart Graft. Visit bartgraft.bandcamp.com for more retro wave music. Join us again next time as we review more TV, movies, and animation from the 80s right here on Rediscovered. Hello again, everyone. Jason here. Thanks so much for listening to our Street Hawk episode. And as a little bonus content, I was uh, producing the show, looking for some clips on YouTube, and stumbled across a live performance from Tangerine Dream of their Lay Park LA Streethawk track, the theme song, and just had to share it. So crank it up in your car. Hope you uh, enjoyed the show and get ready for the Streethawk theme by Tangerine Dream. So next is actually a TV tune that you might recognize if you happen to live in Finland in the middle of the 80s. It's not much, right, almost.